Hello and welcome to Something to Do with Art with me, Robert Good. In this episode, I meet up with artist and sculptor Tom Hackett. Tom studied fine art at Middlesex and Nottingham Trent Universities and is a lecturer and writer on the arts. Tom's work frequently involves holding conversations with members of the public. For shaggy dog stories, he dressed in a brightly coloured suit and wheeled a large yellow silicon dog around in a wheelbarrow, stopping for conversations with fellow dog walkers and passers-by. So I am intrigued to find out why he does this, and what has been the response from his unsuspecting public. And does it require a certain degree of courage to do? Our conversation takes place at Tom's Garden Studio near Nottingham, which is currently home to a large wooden canoe. So join me for this edition of Something to Do with Art, and let's see where today's conversation might take us. So hello, and today I'm just outside Nottingham to visit Tom Hackett, artist and sculptor. Hello, Tom. Hello. And welcome to my podcast. Well, welcome to my little world. Yes, I should say that we are in your little, the nerve centre of the the, the Hackett organisation, which is this fantastic, um, well, shed is not, it doesn't do it justice, your studio, but it is this... I'm surrounded by all this lovely stuff. You know how it's really nice to uh, be nosy in somebody else's place. I could just have a rummage here. I could forget this for now and just be rummaging through all your stuff. You've got loads of really interesting things around. Yeah, it's it's kind of... I struggle with the word studio because I think it's part workshop, part storage. It's very much the the sock drawer, the pant drawer of, of, of my art. And it's also the graveyard of, of previous projects where things that have been used but I hang on to just in case or might come out again and then there's stuff that's in its gestation so the one thing you never really get with the exception of a small artifacts is actually complete work here so it's, it's very much the private world the um, internal organs rather than the outward skin of my practice. Well to your left I can see at least four large yellow silicone uh, shaggy dogs that we'll talk about maybe a little bit later and behind you some heads also out of silicone which look rather wonderful and we have um is that a canoe or That's a kayak the, the, it's a canoe yeah the right. kayaks are the ones you get your legs inside oh, okay. the canoes are the open ones yeah okay and that's future work that's working oh, okay that's um right that's, uh, well let's come on to some of that in a in a little bit but thank you for agreeing to join me on this conversation was it, are you a veteran of podcasts and conversations and audio chit chat? I, I do bits and bobs, and I don't. I mean, what's nice about this format is it's not a rush. I've done an, an awful lot of local radio, so whenever I do a project, I'll end up on you know uh, Radio Lincoln. I've been on Capital, all sorts of radios. It's um, and because of what I, a lot of what I do is conversationally based in recent years, it kind of has a logic to that format. But those tend to be quite truncated. 
um, and also have a kind of almost have an imperative of a sort of an audience in mind in a particular way as opposed to um, what I've enjoyed about listening to some of your podcasts is there's a much more reflective quality to it so yeah I'm at ease with it I'm also mindful of but anything that's recorded becomes has a different weight to it to as, as so many politicians have found out <laughs> their cost um, that, that, that there's once a word is committed either through writing and there's a whole history of language of that of course you know um, and um, Foucault discusses that a great deal in what is an author about there's a point where the signatory became legally accountable so I'm now kind of in your hands with your editorial skills but you become more mindful of it which is why I don't record it when my public interface projects take place because it scares the living crap out of people the minute you start recording it people think god what do I say whereas if you just chat to people and write a few notes down afterwards it's a much more relaxed thing. I wanted to ask you about your encounters with the public in a little bit but first I wanted to ask you I wanted to rewind a little bit to how we met and and your the project that you first did with us in Cambridge because we did a call out through Art Language location and uh, I think you wanted to come back to Cambridge to revisit your primary school, is that right? That's absolutely right, yeah. And I... can you tell me about that project because that was fantastic. Right. Well, I had this lingering regret about cheating at my 14-yard swimming dress, yeah, um, where I'd, there's a school swimming pool, out to swimming pool, and um, I, I was scared of the, of the deep, you know, and, and, and about yard 11 or 12, I put my foot down, but no one saw me, and I got my certificate, and I, I got away with it. So you were, I, doing, you were doing a swimming race, but well, you... Well, not, not a race, the 14-yard certificate, which is one of those things that in, in the olden days, you know, you got it, that was your first kind of thing about how far can you swim, can you swim 14 yards? And that gave you your first kind of certificate. And it was like a bit like your cycling proficiency. It was a sense that I am now a proper swimmer. Um, but, but you touched the bottom. Yeah. And you didn't tell anybody. No, I, um, I, I, so I went home having passed feeling really sick with guilt. I mean, I've never been very good at lying or cheating. I, don't, I mean, I don't know whether that's a, a, a good thing, it's just a thing. So when I saw the call out for Mark Lang's location, immediately I just thought, it just clicked. So within probably 20 minutes of reading that call out, normally you just troll through all those listings and think, nah, nah, I'm too old, no, I'm the wrong gender, no, I'm not making that, no, I'm not a ceramicist. So most of it is kind of like staring into a kind of like a mixture of hope and then disappointment and so you typically I'll click through about a hundred things and realize that none of them are for me <laughs> we all know that feeling um, and, and but it's also quite a relief then because I don't have to write a proposal afterwards <laughs> so, we, I know that feeling as uh, well <laughs> uh, so but that, that proposal was was written for that 14 yard apology to go back to my primary school and produce a piece of work where I it was a, a written apology on 14 wooden yardsticks to go into the school was an absolute just came straight away and that's what it was I love it when that happens and those are the best things and those are the only really real things I think where they just the ideas arrive at you um, rather than you try and crowbar your way into it so that was the first time we met and I sent that off and I was just so delighted when I got the green light from you people and it was also it was a really nice little project because it didn't require a budget a lot of what I do requires funding applications and then that requires forward planning so a project might be one two three years in the gestation whereas the, 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 the small interventions like that you can do you know you don't rely on so you went back to your primary school to kind of um, expunge that that sense of guilt and you put up the measuring sticks yeah 
and had conversations with the staff. I, I, I wrote a, a, a single line of text that was on that was then that was routed out of um, fourteen meter rulers. They were so I actually lied again. They weren't fourteen yards, and I had the real dilemma to actually cut them to be fourteen yards to actually be truthful. But I thought, well, no, because the whole thing was about deceit anyway. So that's a sort of um, so yeah. I, I I went back there. I I had this like zigzag line of this written apology that was a kind of you know a confessional, a bit like um, the end of a I don't know. You you will remember the Walsons, won't you? Many people won't, but that kind of reflective thing at the end of a kind of like a Mark Twain esque kind of winding up of the story, making sense of it, looking back with wisdom. And so it's this, this, this um, absurd little account of this tiny little transgression, but nevertheless I've carried with me, and I still feel bad about. For me, the best bit was then, putting the work back, but I got to speak to this assembly of children and ask them to forgive me. And they all call us back and sort of say, and say no, you know, so do, you, do you forgive me? And they all went, yes! Oh. And, and it was just... I thought you were going to ask them or, t or kind of tell them, you know, don't do as I did, no. children. So, but it's great that, that that's, yeah, a much, so it's... that's a much nicer, more benign approach and, and a request from them. And so do you, it's like Catholic, you, you've been to confession now and you've, you know, your, your sins are ex exonerated. I think it is a weird confessional thing. And I think a lot of art is something that you have to get out of you. That well, maybe, you. maybe that was the formative moment in your art career. Maybe, maybe the touching of the bottom was what led you to then become an artist. The shame of it propelled you. Yeah, there's the sheer utter guilt, yeah. Or, or, or maybe I, I kind of, I think the, the truer position was a process of elimination. Um, <laughs> of trying things and realising, you know... Um, well, I was going to ask you, how did you become, or what, was, was it something that was always there and... Um... I always used to want to be an archaeologist, that's what I would say. But I was also away with the fairies. I, was, I, was, I wasn't very focused at school. I was um, staring out the window and um, I got to a point where I kind of got uh, this lovely moment where my head of sixth form called me in for a kind of motivational chat and she sort of said well you either need to completely change your your attitude towards study or, or leave and I said um, I'll leave then and then the word just came out because I thought well I quite like my life then I went to this careers teacher and the careers teacher said to me um, some jobs going at um, Shire Hall um, in local government um, do you fancy working there and I had no idea even what local government was so I went for this job interview and there was this Man, Leslie Ducker, he was called. He probably still is if he's alive. But I went there, and he said, um, "So, what made you um, apply for a um, job in local government?" And I, the words came out of my mouth. I've always wanted a career in local government. I didn't even know what it was, but I, uh, this bullshit flew out. And within a week, I'd left school and got a job. And then I was sat at this desk doing this thing where I was processing invoices uh, for, and I was an admin clerk in the accounts department and my job was bills would come in for various social services accounts like children's homes whatever and then I had to put a payment code on them and record that and the, so if it was food it would be 2400 if it was electricity 1330 it, absolutely gas 1340 <laughs> so um, I had this job there and my main boss Les Darkus called me in for some kind of appraisal thing and said, um, so um, tell me, Tom, you know, what, are your, um, what are your plans within Cambridge County Council? And I said disingenuously, oh, I'd really like to be in a job like Mrs. Person, who I won't name. And he said, oh, we never know, if you work hard, you might get there. And I thought, shit. <laughs> Is this the future? <laughs> One crappy ring up the ladder. 
uh, is, is, is this what I've got ahead of me? I thought, right. And luckily they sent me, they were sending me to Cambridge Tech, which became Anglia Ruskin University, to do a day release course in public admin. And that got me to Sheffield Poly, where I started on a business studies course. And again, I didn't want to do business studies course, but it was a stepping stone. And I ended up in a shared house with a bunch of art students. And I had this epiphany. Um, I was then going to hang it. I started like, I became an unofficial member of um, Sheffield Poly and started making art. And I was hanging around with musicians and artists. And I thought, God, that's quite simple. I, I shall be an artist. Um, wow. And I'm, I'm, I managed to cobble together a pretty thin folio of work. Got an interview at Middlesex and managed to blag my way into there. And, and that was the turning point, really. And it was just simply by being in a room, in a house with people and thinking, gosh, yeah, hang on, you do this. This makes sense. And this is kind of like um, partly archaeology, but without the hard work. <laughs> Dealing with matter and stuff, only rather than finding stuff, which I still sometimes work with stuff, I could actually make stuff as well to be found. So it all fed together, but it wasn't a straightforward journey. It was it was a series of accidents, you know? It's, yeah, it's, well, it's fascinating. And it, uh, well, everybody's, you know, story of how they got from A to B is, is you know, endlessly interesting. And, and, you know, all those kind of what-ifs and kind of might-ifs and maybes and so on. But there does seem to be something about doing art, which is suddenly the light bulb goes off and, OK, I, I, this is what I've got to do. And I suppose that's true of other careers as well. But... Um, no, that's really interesting, and uh, well, good for you for kind of getting there. And and uh, I should say to all our listeners that uh, local government jobs are very respectable and desirable, and um, and could be very promising careers for many people. I think they're great. Thing. I think we need local authorities, and 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 I and I, and I it's, they are being decimated year after year after year, and not treated with respect. So no, I think absolutely, I value and and the actual the power of local authorities is diminished enormously. Funny uh, enough, I think you'd probably make a good local councillor or, you know, working in <laughs> <laughs> local but, government. And I, th I think actually, in a, in a curious sense, some of those skills that some of the admin efficiency, whether I was efficiency or not, efficient really is another thing, but actually helped get my art career, inverted commas, off the ground, the ability that I did know how to produce written stuff. So interesting, I think it, interesting. I think, I think it actually, yeah. uh, and I think increasingly that the, the problem that many art students and artists struggle with for understandable reasons is the admin side of being an artist which is not isn't the fun bit but it's there are so many aspects of being an artist and a lot of them kind of lie below the surface of the water or, or unseen and, and it's and it appears it's just this kind of thing where you kind of please yourself and make something and and put it down and, and get people to admire it hopefully but actually there's so much more that needs to be done and such a range of skills that, that are needed and um, a lot of it, yes, uh, is, not, uh, is not really either acknowledged or recognised, I don't think. Yeah, and it's because it's, it's, it's not the outward face of it. No, exactly. Um, but um, it's, it, it is, it, yeah, so it's, it's, it's the, it's the it's, it's, and some of it is just downright boring but necessary, you know. You're right. But, but I think boredom is a really interesting place creatively as well. I think boredom is... Um... They do say that boredom is a, like, can be a trigger or a precursor. Yeah. There's a, there's a quote that I really like, and I can't remember who it's by, but I, it's a composer, I believe, um, who said something along the lines of, don't make something until the not making of it becomes unbearable so there's that sense That's of nice. that kind of anticipation mm. and that that kind of the, the coiled spring and boredom can sometimes be that coiled mm. spring where you're just so frustrated and stuck or nothing's happening and you can't even get yourself to first base and then suddenly 
you're off again and or something occurs or, or or some little thing comes into your line of vision or mental state and you're away again i wanted to ask you about your perambulatory walks and your conversations with passers-by i'm really intrigued by that and i wanted just to unpack some of the things so for our listeners you some of your work involves roaming i say roaming around in, in a brightly colored suit uh, sometimes with artifacts i know that you've wheeled a barrow in the past with a bright yellow silicon dog in it and use that as a pretext for conversations or encounters with the public. Maybe I've not quite got that right, but I'm intrigued by this whole aspect of what you do and would like to find out more. Okay, both myself and my wife Rachel, we we try and do the right thing for other people. And I found out that she agreed that we would house someone's uh, puppy for two weeks, which they got because they hadn't thought about the fact they couldn't take it to Tuscany with them and they hadn't got it immunised so it couldn't go into a kennel. So I found myself, we had this dog that didn't sleep, this dog that um, howled all night, bless it, and needed, um, and then also started urinating everywhere. So I was was in this situation... What's not to love? Well, no, I I was in this this mad state of feeling, it wasn't his fault, but I was was only curious, because he he was was a little creature bit, but um, he he was a dog that, that was creating a lot of need. And so there was this paradox between this state of frustration and the world when I would go out for the walks where everyone would talk to me. I, I became friends with all the people who had dogs and other people would come and talk to me because I had a dog. So I became aware of this idea um, of the dog as a social nexus, the idea of what makes people want to talk to you. Now, people will not speak to you unless there's a a reason. They might say hello, but there's that so about this dog thing became a project. It became a project called Shaggy Shaggy Dog Stories, which I had a newspaper made out of fragments of conversations. And then the question I have is, if I I have a sculptural dog, will people still talk to me? And they they do, you know, so I made this sculptural dog and then I repeat cast a load of them. I I wanted the, the actual dog form itself was I initially made one that looked too much like something out of a garden centre you know a bit too naturalistic and a bit and I just thought no so I made something deliberately looking synthetic so my, my creative line of inquiry was if I walk around with a dog a plastic dog in a wheelbarrow will people talk to me and as a who still love dogs and the answer is yes they will and I became like a confessor to them so I, I had some very personal conversations about people's lives and their, their so I became this person that people talked to and made art of that, out of it so and, and how does that go? So you're walking along with your wheelbarrow with the yellow silicone dog in it. And I totally get it with the, with the real dog that people do kind of come up and go, you know, and, and make inquiries and, and feel part of that, that situation. But what's with, when it's one step removed, whether it's like this slightly surreal object in a wheelbarrow, how do people get started? I would have thought that a lot of people might, you know, look the other way or pretend it they, wasn't they, there. They, they, yes, both. Um, so I went, I was walking this dog around Rutherford Park in Nottingham and parks in Scunthorpe and you have to accept the fact there's moments where you feel like a complete spare part, where no one speaks to you, so you are just the kind of, um, the anomaly, the um, bloke walking around then, but then you have these moments uh, where you just think, I feel like a fraud, I've set this project up to have conversations and nothing's happening. And then it, then it can feel quite stupid, bleak and lonely. Um, well, that, I, was, I was definitely intrigued by that angle as well. That, you, you, that, that sense of you then 
putting yourself out there and being this person, and that's quite a, an exposing place to be, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you you accept the fact that there's this moment. There's going to be awkward moments where you feel incredibly self-conscious, and then there's moments where suddenly someone talks to you. And then it's like, it's, 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 it's like, it's, you feel like, it's working, it's working, I'm doing something, you know. Um, it's no different to making a cake or whatever. My God, it's rising in the oven, you know. It's a, um, there is material out there, there is a, there's a rationale. And I think the minute you do anything that's involved about, um, and, and the key thing I recognised with that, which was my first ever walking, talking project, was that you don't force it, you let it come to you. Uh, you don't walk up to say, hello, my name's Tom, I'm doing an art project about, uh, you know, and then also that's where a bit of advanced publicity helps if you've done a local radio thing and things. So um, that was the first one. The second one was um, a set of, I made I made a, an initial thing, a catalyst suit of fragments of conversation I'd overheard. And that was then in, and then I, I, I was walking around and had these bespoke suits made. I was a catalyst suit, which I would wear in Corby, in Lincoln and Nottingham. And I was just wandering around with these tech suits. And then without the wheelbarrow, and then the idea is, well, you know, people would chat to me, hopefully. Um, and that felt lonelier as well. But again, that started to work okay. You, um, some, you know, some, there'll be, there'll be might, an hour might pass when no one talks to you and you're wandering around a park feeling a bit peripheral, you know. Uh, but then suddenly people might say, oh, well, I like and, and the minute someone says, I like your suit or great clothes, and then you can, then you start chatting to them and, and then you can say, hello, yes, I'm doing, I'm gathering conversations. It almost sounds like one of these uh, uh, living sculptures in London and elsewhere uh, with the streets where they're, they're kind of still until somebody engages or looks at them and then suddenly they kind of leap into life and they do their thing but yeah uh, I'm not sure about that analogy because <laughs> I've always hated those but um but um but yeah it's, it's about it's about um being there to be uncovered being there to, to spark interest and I think it's uh it's about having some visual stimulus that creates a conversation and then becomes something else and then the text conversations became in that case they with the dogs they became a newspaper and an installation of dogs and wheelbarrows with the Lincoln Corby Nottingham project, I had a suit made with each city. So each was a kind of, and I also did little block drawings of things I saw. So it became about, and a sound piece. And that was the first time I, I collaborated with the audio side with um, Julian, who I've worked with on performance pieces. So I, he got some the bit fragments of conversations, got voice actors and mixed them together. And then there became a kind of audio piece that went with it. And then that moved into the barbecue project in, in Luton. And, and that seemed to work very well. That was extraordinary. It was just, it was just one town. But from an interaction point of view, I think that's the most successful thing I've done. Like we had an opening where I, so I walked around with a, bar, with a wheelbarrow with bits of barbecue briquettes with post-it notes drilled to the middle. And then people would come and talk to me, and I'd ask people about personal regrets, and I got this some very deeply personal things. You know, I was going to me. say that I mean, so in terms of the types of response, there does seem well one one flavour seems to be the confessional, yeah, and that maybe the fact that you are dressed or that you are out of the ordinary somehow allows people to engage, or they suddenly become more personal than they otherwise would be. It's I think the key thing was that I wasn't recording it. Back to the earlier conversation, I think. I, did, I explained that I would use it, but it would be anonymous. So someone, people would tell me about marital things, some decisions not to keep unborn children, quite profound stuff. And I recognised I wasn't there to make any kind of affirmation or judgment back. I was, it was, this is weird, I was like a, a reception thing. But, I, but on, a, on a, several times people would say, thank you, after our conversation. Wow. So one, one guy spoke to me for nearly an hour about his... Um, 
disastrous marriage and he'd ended up becoming on the streets because of it. He'd, he'd hit, hit the booze and, 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 and he says, thank you. He says, no one really talks to me. And, and I kind of could have wept, you know, I just thought all I've done is, well, not all I've done, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to feel like a parasite because I'm using you, not in a malicious sense, I'm, I'm, I'm harvesting words from you, but I feel, but it was quite profound, the fact that people thank you for speaking to them, and you think... Definitely, well, that's fantastic, but also the sense in which artists, um, you, you want that sense of connection with other people, or you hope that what you're doing has some sort of connection or some sort of rich encounter for other people, yeah. so it's great when that happens. Well, no, that whole Luton thing was profound, because the I stayed over, and I kind of... Um, I went into the Bricklayers Arms pub, which is the Luton Town Supporters pub, and I like I suddenly knew the whole pub, and it was it was an. Were you in your suit at the time? Uh, I can't. No, I I uh, actually I wore the jacket, not the trousers, for the evening bits. But it's an incredibly yeah. And so I got to, and then there was a really good social media campaign going. Like they really picked up on it, and and for the opening event, because um, I was giving out little cards saying just come along to the preview thing. Like about a couple of hundred people came, of which probably 10 were Art World. The rest were people who I'd come across. And it was there. And I cooked barbecue, I cooked veggie burgers on the barbecue, which was a kind of comedy moment because I had to go, I had to like get permission, get a license from the local authority to do that. I had to prove I'd done my food hygiene course and I had to have barriers around me. And I had a, a person from the local authority standing, making sure I was doing it properly. Wow. And, I, and I was just cooking burgers and things. But but the whole thing was, was quite extraordinary. I had, and the, the, the important thing was there was this instant, as an artwork, there were five talking barbecues, each with a speaker in it and different conversations coming out. So it was like a group therapy session between five talking barbecues and these text pieces I've done of, of, of uh, so not suits, but the, the fabric design thing. But for me, no, I felt really quite vindicated because I felt um, that the, the connection with the place had been particularly profound. And I think this idea of, of where we start and where we end up and that revisiting and, and that business of cheating at school on something piffling, but going back through someone else's initiative, like your initiative to set up this wonderful arts festival. I love those cyclical nature things, those those coincidences and those interrelationships. And they kind of, um, I think it's, it's it's that kind of weird journey through life and, and business of being creative is somehow, I used to say it was that as an artist, we're trying to make sense of the world. I don't think we even are. I think, I think, a great phrase given to me by um, someone who's still in the British Army but now training soldiers. He, he, he talked about battlefield situations, and I, I, I actually said to him, "How do you, when you're in that situation, what do you do? What, how, how do you manage the chaos?" And he said, "You don't manage the chaos. You surf the chaos. You feel the force, the energy." And he was, he was, he was, like, he was like in tank battles. <laughs> Ridiculous idea. <laughs> and then the best thing, he, he turned up. He turned up at my um, Luton launch. And he walked up and he says, oh, it's incredibly brave of you to walk around in those suits. This <laughs> <laughs> is beautiful. Your, your world is of um, actual life and death. And I have to, like, maybe get the piss taken out of me. Generally, it's the worst thing that can happen to me, you know. Well, uh, I mean, definitely. I, I mean, I, I totally get that complete difference of order of magnitude in it. But there is something about putting yourself out there. And, you know, you, you are up for having somebody have a pop at you. So, so I salute you for that. But I think... Also, a take-home message for me, artist as surfer, I think, is a nice new one to add to my list of what, what artists are trying to do. Kind of surfing through the world or is a, is a nice 
Yeah. That's very resonant, I think. No, it's nice... beautiful, because the idea of feeling, feeling an energy, feeling a force, and it may be yeah. a material energy, it may be a place, but then you feel that surge, and then it carries you forward. And, and I think that's really uh, what we need, what, what I need, certainly. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a reactor. You know, the idea that art is hatched out of an egg, that it's this neutral thing that is not connected to the world. It's a very modernist idea, you know, this idea of the autonomy project, um, that, that the art was not of the world. And it was about, but even then that dialogue that was going on about Ad Reinhardt stuff, you know, fans, very funny writing, but all about um, art is not something else, art is art. It's, art is part of culture, culture's part of the world. It's, 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 it's about being in the world, being creative. And that's what we, we are, just people in the world who've made a interesting decision to do something less functional, but nevertheless part of the, uh, and, and of the very infrastructure, you know. And the fact that we can't go and see theatre, we can't go and see live music at the moment, you know, is really missing the, 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 that sense of being, certain art galleries will be all right, some of the bigger art galleries, which are often empty anyway, you know, there's certain art galleries, I won't particularly name, but I think well, actually social distancing will it's always happened, apart from at the opening night, you know. But we can still have lunch, so maybe that's yeah. what we should uh, do next. Very good idea. So we are back after a fantastic lunch. Thank you so much. That was olives and uh, feta cheese and new potatoes and kind of a, a Mediterranean je ne sais quoi. Well, I th that's about bang on, yes. It was all right, wasn't it? It was very good. It was very good. I'm fortified. So we've got to the point of my podcast now where I sh share my erudition and learning about a subject uh, that uh, that you may or may not know a little bit about and I've chosen this time Shaggy Dog Stories so I've got a little bit I've done a little bit of research into Shaggy Dog Stories and when I say research what I really mean is I've just had a look on Wikipedia so I'm gonna ask you do you know the origins of the Shaggy Dog Story and why it is so called? Um. It's Tristram, Tristram Shandy is a classic example, isn't it? Lawrence Stern of the Shaggy Dog story. Um, I can't remember the exact thing, but it's the idea of the story that keeps going on from one thing to another thing and actually kind of builds on the previous thing but doesn't actually necessarily go anywhere. The actual terminology Shaggy story, Dog story, I can't think off the top of my head. And I should say, by the way, this is not, this is not mastermind. I'm not trying to put you on... Although you are, for our listeners, I should say that you, to paint the picture, you're sitting in a kind of... Uh, semi-mastermind style chair. You're in a very nice designer chair looking very reclined and relaxed. Um, yeah, well, according to uh, Wikipedia, which is never wrong, the uh, the Shaggy Dog story arises from the, the original. There was an original Shaggy Dog story which ended uh, with the line that the dog isn't actually very shaggy after all. But, now this is where it starts to get interesting, 
What do you think is a shaggy god story? Um, a shaggy god story, that's interesting. I mean, I'm thinking about Shaggy the Musician, who did um, It Wasn't Me and Oh Caroline, which was a great song. Um, shaggy, of course, from Scooby Doo. Um, with Very the, um, good. Lovely, oh, that's, that's, yeah. Um, and then a, uh, a shaggy god story. Um, it, it, it's, it's a, maybe it's about the um, Adam and Eve, the creation of the human race. Um, so an act of shagging from God vicariously. Well, you're, I give you a good six out of ten for that. I mean, uh, Adam and Eve, you get uh, points for that. I'm not sure about the, the other element of that, but apparently a shaggy God story is a story in a minor science fiction genre that attempts to explain biblical concepts with science fiction tropes. A typical shaggy god story might feature a pair of astronauts landing on a lush and virgin world and in the last line their names are revealed as Adam and Eve. Well, thanks for yeah, that. That's good. So there you go. Yeah. But I rather like that shaggy god story. Now, my final bit of, of information for you for today is that, amazingly, Jan Harold Brunvard in January 1963 decided that he would write uh, a learned piece on the classification of shaggy dog stories. So he analysed over 200 shaggy dog stories and categorised them for a learned folklore magazine, which I thought was, I was rather astonished by. Well, no, admit. it just shows that um, when you think about the activities of most visual artists could be seen as potentially futile. We're not alone, are we? <laughs> well, I, have, I, I, do have a little, I do have a little theory, which I call Good's Law, which is that everything, you can look around at everything and anything, whether it's this cup where I've got my coffee, or those trainers that you're wearing, or, or whatever, S someone somewhere knows about them to PhD level or equivalent. And so I have found the Shaggy Dog Story uh, expert, Jan Harold Brunvand, Fantastic. Who's got a great name. Yeah, yeah. So we can put that to bed. Although, actually, his theories were also disputed. So I'm sure it rumbles on like any good uh, Shaggy Dog Story should. And arguably trying to classify something that is refuting its classification by its deference of meaning, you know. I mean, Shaggy Dog Story, in one sense, is, is, is um, classic post-structural thinking, isn't it, really? He just keeps it... Wow, now, I like, I like it. We're now we're, we're next level Shaggy Dog Story. I think this is a future project for you, Tom. I think you can... Uh... But Resistance to Closure, I think, interesting art is about putting out possibilities. And that's, that's maybe, that's maybe the, the privilege of making art rather than making science. I know there's plenty of speculative science, of course there is, but we're not burdened with making sense. We are, our job is speculation. Um, it's to probe the world, it's to play with the world rather than necessarily neatly anchor it into fixed terms, which is a fool's errand anyway. I, no, I absolutely think that's that's right. And actually, um, we've we've accidentally strayed onto a kind of serious topic. I thought this was going to be light and fluffy, but okay. I think I think you're, <laughs> I, I think you're absolutely yeah. right that it is almost the privilege of the artist to be allowed to kind of 
not make sense and not to feel that it's got to all add up and make a kind of coherence but to to question and to to experiment and to to mash things together or to try things out without it needing to have uh, necessarily an overarching uh, um, coherence or or, or or making sense really or at least it's a it's a uh, it's something along those lines definitely i agree i think it's um, which I think, but this is for another. This is for another day. Which which puzzles me about the thing about uh, doing a PhD as a fine art as a practice, but because that seems inherently conflictual. I think this is something for another podcast to find to talk to PhD fine artists about that relationship between the research and, and there, the practice. Um, artists do research, but the minute you call it research, it becomes under a different kind of magnifying lens, I think it's quite, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, um, but again, quality is another thing altogether, isn't it, and we're still struggling. Oh, Lordy, yeah, I don't, I think we'll leave that one. I know, and the, day, and the day. day we can fix that, I think, um, okay, well, we, well we, let we, me we know. Failed. Come, oh, right, I was yeah. going to say, come back to me. No, when, absolutely, when you... no, I think, no, the idea of, uh, the work that makes, that I struggle with, is often the work that intrigues me the most, because actually, it's questioning my own paradigm, and, and rule book, which is of course a constructed load of construct. Well, I think may, maybe that that would be the perfect point at which to uh, to uh, say thank you very much for having this conversation with me. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, it's been fascinating to hear about your work and and your interactions with the public, and uh, to to visit you in this fabulous creative nerve centre stroke graveyard. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Something to Do with Art. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback via social media. And check out the podcast notes for links and further information. That's it for this episode. Many thanks to the very wonderful Berwick Livingston for the music, Danielle Blyde for logo design, and to everyone who has taken part and helped me with this project. I hope to catch up with you again soon. Thank you.